Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be with you today and bringing this show to you today. We've got a fantastic guest for you today, an NBA life optimization coach, former professional basketball player and coach for the Brooklyn Nets, author of the book Pivot and Go, and I'm talking about David Nurse, and let me tell you, David is Enneagram savvy, and he has helped over 150 NBA players with their personal and professional development, and he really uses the Enneagram in the way that it's intended to be for, as he would say, optimization and transformation. We talk about all the different numbers. We talk about where you go in health and where you go in stress. So this episode is chock full. There's something in it for everyone. I know you're going to love it. Hey, thank you again for being here with us. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. David Nurse, welcome to Typology. Ian, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. We love it when we get some Enneagram 7s here on the show. And you are one that is particularly fascinating uh, for me, and I'm excited to have you uh, be on the show. Um, tell people what you do for a living. It's fascinating. Yeah, so first off, I'm really excited and enthused to be on the show. And I'm really- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see where it's going already. <laughs> so I call myself an NBA life optimization coach, and my background has been in coaching NBA players. And I coached for the Brooklyn Nets and Got a whole story of how I got there and everything. But my my main thing that I have done in the past is being able to coach NBA players, their skill set. But over the past few years, just understanding more of how important the mindset is, mm. more of a life optimization, meaning these guys step on the floor, these pressure packed games, millions of dollars on the line, like they have to perform. And there's going to be a lot of circumstances around them, craziness going on in the game. They're in the storm in the game. Like, how do they function at their best ability 100% of the time? So that is my goal, and that is my mission, and that's why it's termed as a life optimization coach. Fascinating. Mm. How tall are you? I'm 6'2". That's why I'm coaching and not playing, to be honest. And I never really had the athletic gene. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, cornfields of Iowa, and all I wanted to do was play basketball, and I never dunked in my life. My parents... You know, they probably should have said, David, there's a thing called golf, tennis. <laughs> Just loved basketball, though. And I poured my whole life into playing, playing in the NBA. And when I got fast forward, I was playing professionally, which professionally, when I say that sounds really cool overseas, but it was more like the Will Ferrell semi-pro type of. <laughs> I'm in here doing two-a-days. I'm pouring all this film study in. I'm trying to be the best that I can be. And these other guys are just worried about where the party is going to be at after the game and drinking beers at halftime. So second division Spanish league, I get cut from that team. Mm. And that was my realization. Now, I was back home licking my wounds, living on my parents' recliner chair in Kansas City at the time. And all my life, I didn't have a backup plan. So all my life, I was, like, I was playing in the NBA. And that was taken away from me, turned upside down, my face rubbed in the dirt. And my mom, just taking you on this whole journey here, my mom would always say these motivational and inspirational quotes. And usually is whatever, mom, in one ear, out the other ear. And she was doing dishes one time and I was on kickback on the recliner chair. I remember it vividly. She said, David, when one door closes, 
four open in an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. <laughs> I thought it was one door, one door. Where's this coming from? Is your mom a seven? Uh, you know, I don't even That's know a- what she is. That's such a. I think she is. Yeah, she has to be a seven. She's never taken it, but she is. Full, she's an energizer bunny. I mean, that's one. like a seven. That's like that's a. <laughs> that is that's seven on steroids. Oh my word! Yeah, but anyways, I mean. And so, what did that do for you when she said it? That made gave me the realization that everything I've been pouring into my life to play in the NBA was not necessarily for myself to play. But it was to learn everything to be able to teach others and show others who had the more God-given abilities, the height and athleticism to reach the goals of playing in the NBA. So from there, I decided, okay, I'm not, I'm not playing in the NBA. I'm going to coach in the NBA. And that became my mission that I was driven to accomplish. Mm. You know, I think that's an example of, of what I would call healthy reframing. Yeah. Um, you have this disappointing experience, and rather than – uh, dwell on the negative, and of course, with the help of your mom, you reframed it as, um, wait a minute, this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. This has taught me how to do X, and now I have a new mission in life that yeah. I can be excited about and you know, be passionate about and find joy in. If you were unhealthy, what you would probably have done <laughs> is saying, I, don't, I want to avoid the pain of disappointment and sadness and boredom. And, uh, and, and maybe that was part of it, you know, but, but the, but the fact of the matter is, is that this is an example of where reframing can be kind of helpful at times when it's not too much in service to avoiding negative feelings. If you could do both, that would be perfect. Like powerful as, as opposed to being in denial. Like it's a powerful moment, like to be able to reframe in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. It definitely can be finding the, finding the possibility uh, in the in the loss mm-hmm. can be a really powerful thing. All right, so you use the Enneagram in your work with players, which I want to hear all about. Tell mm. tell me about it. Tell me how you learned about the Enneagram. Tell me about how you decided to use it. And what? Tell me how it's affected players when when you've you know kind of helped them understand themselves through it. Absolutely. So I'll give you examples of players and what we've gone through with them, and then I'll give you some examples of the numbers and players that people might recognize and know their names, but. I honestly heard about it years and years and years ago, and I thought it was just one another one of those personality tests and like, oh, you're a seven. Oh, like, that's cool. Like, you know, and I'm sure you guys probably hear that a lot. But then as I got to learn more about it, and it was actually in, in NBA, a former NBA player, Landry Fields, he's now an assistant GM with the Atlanta Hawks, was telling me about it. He's like, hey, David, this is, this is a game changer to figure out what motivates people, how they, how they act as their, at their best, how they act at their worst. You got to really look into this. So he kind of led me along that path of, of figuring out, like, how can I utilize this first in my own life? And then how can I utilize it in my coaching of NBA players? And to be honest, and I'm not just plugging your podcast here, but it, that's what got me onto it. Listening to your podcast right here many, many times and figuring out, OK, I need to know I need to know my players at the core. Like if mm-hmm. I'm going to help them be totally optimized 100 percent as best as they can be, I need to know what makes them tick. I need to know what motivates them. I need to know what drives them. I need to know them inside and out. And I, I came up for a few challenges at, at first. Like I'd, I'd give it to players, tell them to take it. A lot of them wouldn't do it or they think, oh, another personality test. But, but once they did and really saw how it reflected them, like uh, basically a mirror, a mirror reflecting who they actually truly are was, I mean, it was powerful. So I'll take you through an example of a player who I've, I've worked with for many years. His name's Norm Powell. He's a second round pick. And he wasn't highly recruited, played at UCLA, 
He was kind of just always, always overlooked. Now he's a three, he's a three to the max. So he's a challenger. He's going to push. He's going to, he's going to try to lead. He's going to motivate. And but what he had down below the surface that we didn't really understand, like we, like I would always, as a seven, I would just try to push through, you know, you got it, you know, just motivate him. You got it. Positive, positive. But he had these, these wounds underneath him that he didn't even realize. Like he was trying to live up to, expectations of personal values and had these deep anxieties that we had to first figure out what they were because he wasn't functioning at his his top three level so and he went through i mean times with he played for the toronto raptors actually played for my uncle who coaches the toronto raptors and it'd be he based himself a lot on the results like a lot of players do and I, a lot of players i would say generally the majority of players are going to be your threes eights and probably a lot of sevens as well but he'd base his who he was, his identity on his results. And when he didn't have the results, it was up and down like a roller coaster. And he was, he was anxious. He was worrying about what other people thought of, thought of him. And we finally like him understanding that functioning at his highest level, he's a healthy six is where he realized, okay, I can take a deep breath. I can step back. I don't have to press. I don't have to drive and make this happen on my own. Like I put in all this work. I put on all this film study, all, all of this that we've been doing, I need to trust in the process. So in a sense, him understanding that the results is not is where he's going to find his identity. That's not who he is in stats, but understanding the process, let him take the pressure off himself instead of just having to, to push, to push, to push through and feeling these deep anxieties and wounds that he didn't even know he had. And cool thing about it is over this past year, he's gone from in and out of the lineup becoming a starter, averaging 20 a game. He was just traded to the Portland Trailblazers as one of the hottest players in the NBA, winning Eastern Conference player the week before before the world shut down during COVID. And he's, he's probably working his way to a 20 to $22 million per year contract next year. And it's, it's all credit to him and his ability to understand himself, understand his true self-awareness, understand who he is at his best, who he is at his worst, and basically step out of his own body, see it from a bigger picture, almost like a video game he's playing with himself, and is really just coming to his own. So that's been one of the biggest success stories of using the Enneagram and somebody and a player who's really embraced it and seen the benefits. All right, so does this guy himself draw a line between <clears throat> you know, what this past year has been like for him and the self-knowledge that, that he's gained through the Enneagram, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we made a big emphasis on it, and I think he does gain a lot of that because he finally understood. Like, when you don't know what your wounds are, or you don't know what's holding you back, you don't know. Like, you just don't know. Right. So to understand that his, he was putting everything on. So he was highly, like I said, he was highly overlooked. He was always underrated. He was, he was trying to live up to expectations of people around him and it just brought him down but he didn't know that until we went into the Enneagram and it just kind of it it unlocked it it was almost like a a, a mask covering mm-hmm. him. He, had this, he was wearing this mask and he was able to take the mask off and fully be himself and I've seen it with him I've seen it with players like Jeremy Lin the the, the great player who had the Lin sanity just like finding your true self-awareness is what makes you I mean is what opens up your basically the can of potential that you have in, in, in optimizing it because you know who you are, not who basically the world is saying you have to be. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So good. You know, because in many ways, the Enneagram does is it does reveal who you were before the world told you who you were supposed to be. Right? And you can you you learn to recover that. You learn to reclaim it. You you learn to begin to challenge the stories that you've been telling yourself about who you are and the stories that other people have been telling you who you are, mm. right? And and owning your own story. And so for a performer three to uh, begin to realize I'm not a lone wolf. Right, it it really isn't all about my success. Mm. It, it's not all about me um, trying to win the love and approval of others by through my achievements and my accomplishments. What really matters is that I learn how to be a team player. Mm-hmm. I learn how to be just another bozo on the bus. I don't have to drive the bus. I can just be a passenger on the bus. And where my value really comes from is by helping other people succeed. And when you help other people succeed, a funny thing starts to happen. <laughs> you start to succeed, right? Because you're, you're, the, the more you just kind of focus in on self versus community, you know? Like how do I bring everybody up to their very best? Mm. I mean, what coach doesn't want to have that kind of player? Totally. That was so well said. And that is pouring into others, poor, 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 without ex- expecting anything in return. And that's when everything comes back to you in return. And what's beautiful, it is it's funny that you bring that up, is, is Norm, he messaged me about two weeks ago. He's like, David, I want to learn how to lead. Like, I, I now want to lead other players. Like, he's wow. now understood that that is the thing. Like, he's going to pour into his teammates. He's going to show his teammates how he led himself. So the epitome of a great leader is someone who leads themselves so they, that they can lead others. Now, we don't always want to lead people. We want those people who are leading to be able to lead themselves. So it's great that you hit on that point. You, you're, truly, you're truly right. Like it is, the beauty in it is serving. And the hardest thing to do is to step in a room and actively be in a servant mentality. Because most of us, NBA players, whoever we are, we want to know what people can do for us. When you step mm-hmm. in a room, like, what can this guy, who is this guy? What does he have? Can yeah, I and that's that? very three right there. That's, an, uh, that's a very, yeah. you're describing an unhealthy three. They walk into the room, and when you're talking to them, they're, they're kind of looking over your shoulder to see who else is there, to see if, you know, I want to know who the real players are in the room because I want to get in with them because I can leverage those, in, 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 you know, relationships with influential people to improve my standing and get ahead right? That's an unhealthy three. What I described to you, by the way, as you know, was a very healthy six, right? I did that community-minded person, right, who, you know, is all about helping others succeed. What you described in this guy earlier was where threes go when they're not healthy, which is that low side of nine, Mm -hmm. and they get depressed. They begin to have trouble making decisions. Uh, They become ambivalent. They, you know, they can end up kind of numbing out the doing dumb stuff to numb out uh they uh kind of lose energy they get slightly depressed i don't know if that's what he was like but that's that low side of nine man yeah yeah totally and he i mean just you saying that is it's very clear of the struggles uh, that he faced and how he's overcome them and him being able to understand that is really the yeah. beauty in it and it's it's when you when you do that that mud is taken off your eyes so it's yeah mm-hmm. I am so inspired sitting here listening to you, David, and so excited that you are not just helping people land on their number, but helping them, as you say, optimize using the Enneagram to help them self-observe, to see 
in this case as a three where they can go to six in health or where they might go to the low side of nine in stress. I love this. Yeah. And and what's really good too that most people don't realize is that if you're on the low side of nine, if you're a three on the low side of nine, this is true for every type, right? You go to your stress point. You can also decide to go to the higher side of nine. And at the higher side of nine, that three would say, hey, you know what? It's all going to be all right. That's good. All shall be well. They just have a sense that everything's going to be all right, and they they relax. Mm. You know, they they find this sort of peaceful center, and and so both of those are, are are great places for the three to to go and access those those energy points for for themselves. You got another you got another example. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's just go through some numbers of players that everybody might know. Some, some famous players or these big stars, and now. A lot of the coaches in the NBA will be your ones, your perfectionists. Interesting. Wow. A lot of your coaches are, yeah, they, I'm friends with a lot of NBA coaches. I've had some friends take them, like a coach with Miami Heat, and then they're ones. Two, LeBron will be your two. He's more mm-hmm. of the helper type, and but he's, you know what, also really worried about self-image because mm-hmm. he, is, he is a brand, which is – I mean, a lot of NBA players are, but everything that he does is pretty he dialed in. He's got a great team around him, and he's worried about that. It, it, but he is also the guy who's going to help. He's going to turn down the big shot. He's going to help others. Uh, three, we talked about Norm, but a lot of players are. like <clears throat> The biggest thing that they struggle from, too, and is caring what the media thinks about them. And these guys will be going to make these great teams. Like now the Brooklyn Nets, who I used to coach four or five years ago when we were – uh, not not a very good team, but so I'm going to say I set the roots there for the Brooklyn Nets. Like they are what they were before me fighting. But you'll see these players and they'll care about, oh, he's only going to win a championship because he's with such and such. So players put a lot of emphasis on what the media and others around them say. And it's it's funny because a lot of people look at these NBA players like superheroes, but they struggle with the same type of self-confidence not knowing who they are, lack of self-awareness is, is all of us. Imposter syndrome, even. Mm-hmm. Your four will be like a James Harden. He's an individualist. He's, he's really a little off the wall, but he's, he's kind of all about himself. He's an isolation player. So he's going to be more of your four. Kyrie Irving, no, that is no, he's a, he'd be a five, an investigator. Okay. He, is, he is, a lot, is a lot different than just a basketball player. So he's not going to be your really – just kind of macho type of guy, but he's very, uh, he's a, he's a five. And is, six, he an intro, is he an introvert? Yes, yes, yes. That's the word I was looking for right there. Very, yes, yes, he is. Okay. Yeah. And you're six, you're loyalist. I have a player, Aaron Baines is the best one that came to my mind for this. He's, he's one of the players that I work with and a very good friend of mine. And he is just committed to the team. He's from Australia. So I don't know if some of that comes from, the Aussie pride, but he's just extremely loyal to his mm. teammates, to everybody around him. A seven, like myself, if I played in the NBA, I would have said myself, but Russell Westbrook will be your seven. It was high energy. He's enthusiastic. He's always smile on his face or, or, or scowl on his face, but he's coming at you. And eight would be your Chris Paul. He's a great leader. He's a challenger. He's going to push you. He's going to challenge and support you. And your nines, I didn't really have anybody for a nine. Who do you think would – I wanted to raise that question to you guys. Who, who would you think would be a nine? Oh, my gosh. 
I don't know, man, because I don't know nothing about basketball. I okay. did watch. I will say, I watched the Michael Jordan uh, documentary, which yeah. I thought who was, is not a nine. By who the way. is not a nine? <laughs> that guy is not a nine, man. That guy is so intense, so oh, yeah. intense. And I would argue that he's 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 a very strong eight. And when he and he could, and when he was unhealthy, man, a vengeful eight. Mm. Totally, had that did the same. Yeah, like he always needed a re- a reason for a challenge, right? Like he would come up with it. Like it's just crazy the way he would just create challenges for himself. Even. Yeah, and don't get on the wrong side of him. Yeah, I mean, if he if he felt like you betrayed him, or if, mm. if you know that that's I mean, he, yeah, he, it was not soon forgotten. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what? I, I just thought of who would be the nines and referees. Referees are your nines. Interesting. That's great. They're going to be your peacemakers. They're the ones that are going to try to bring everything together. Maybe not all of them are natural in nines, but I would say there is a lot of referees that would be nines. Well, I love your evaluation of the other guys, like Harden and his beard. I mean, he is such an individualist. You know, it's just like, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is, you guys have probably never taken it. Well, maybe they have, but they probably haven't taken it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you can look at, like, that's why I love this as well, as I was talking about earlier, Ian, is that people are just, I mean, at a core, your numbers, in a, in, not in a bad way, but in a good way. So you know exactly who your teammates are, how your teammates mm-hmm. act, who they are at their best. Like, it's, it's, it's cool when you just break it down, like, oh, James Harden, that beard. Okay, yeah, that's probably because he's a four. Now, now that makes sense, you know? And like, mm-hmm. Kyrie, he's he's kind of secluded. He's an introvert. Okay, it makes sense. He's a five. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Instead mm-hmm. of wondering oh, what's wrong with them, like why are they so different? Why aren't they just like every other NBA player, gung ho and coming at you 100 miles per hour? It, it would be. I mean, of course, we're typing from a distance, which is always has its uh, danger. danger. You know, there's always yeah. a danger in doing it, but it is kind of fascinating to, to think through it. You know, based on exterior traits, but but we all know that that has limitations. I I you know, Anthony, as I've worked with some bands. Um, that, you know, spend a lot of time on a bus together, like three-month tours, you know. They're out for six weeks. They're mm-hmm. home for five days or, you know, whatever whatever the case may be. And um, the Enneagram has been tremendously helpful to them, you know, like understanding each other, you know, compassionate with each other, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It would be fascinating to work with a sports team. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And have them really begin to, to understand each other mm-hmm. in, in a way that, that could build build team cohesion. Yeah. Really. And to help them bring out the best in each other. That'd be fascinating for me. Oh, it's made a world of difference with some of the people that we've talked to. Oh, yeah. I think about the friction, like with uh, someone that we, we were talking about. There was a five, and he always retreated to the bus. Do you oh, no. That into story? the bay. Into <laughs> the bay of the bus. He would- <laughs> He was a five. The lead singer was a seven. Yeah. He was a five. Yeah. And and the energy and too many people on the bus got yeah. to the point where he would go into the under into the the luggage bay of the bus. Yeah. And he would put on like a miner's light, like a miner's cap That's and right. read. read. <laughs> <laughs> they would know, where's Bob? I don't know. Go yeah. check the luggage but bay. But the seven was getting his feelings hurt until he mm-hmm. figured until it he out. Until he figured right? it out. Yeah. 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 This guy wasn't avoiding him. Well, yeah. he kind of was, but he just right. needed a break. Wasn't personal. Wasn't personal. He just needed a break. Yeah. All right. So you're a seven. How did you feel when you learned that you were a seven? When you read the description, well, what did you? Um, what was your initial feeling? What came up for you? I was actually really excited. I know that sounds cliche for a seven, but I was very excited. 
because I've always thought of myself as someone who's going to, I'm, I'm always bringing positive energy and I want to be that consistent person that is, that will pick other people up, that will encourage other people. So when I saw it come out as a seven, I was like, yeah, that sounds right. All right, right. Now I think I'm even more of a seven. So I think it's kind of like the momentum of knowing you're a seven, build some momentum to continue to grow you as a seven. Yeah. All right. So how are you growing as a seven? Like, here's a question for you. If I, if I were, let me ask, Let's say your wife was on this, uh, this, this call right now, and <laughs> if I put this question to her, the, the question would be, if, if David wants to grow up, he's going to have to blank. Mm. What, mm. what would she say? Easy answer. Now, my wife was set the stage as a two. She's a giver. She's way, way cooler than I am. Amazing. Much better half. And she would say, David, you need to learn empathy. Absolutely, that would be the answer. I'm not very good at relating with people who are feeling down about themselves, or like, and I know it's a real thing, but I'm just more of the okay, come on, let's go. Why? Why waste your time feeling down? And even for myself, when we're talking about my story of NBA's gone, now it's time to coach. Like I use failure and I use pains as instead of really understanding them i just kind of bounce off them and i go to the next thing and it it ignites me so it's a positive and a negative but but definitely she would say that i need to be more empathetic and be able to do a better job relating with people through their pains instead of trying to and as myself honestly as as a leader like i I know i need to do a better job of that because i can't lead anybody if i'm just going to try to tell them what i think but i need to put my i need to basically walk in their shoes all right so let me just say something to you and then you tell me how you'd feel if someone said this to you david i don't call you when i'm hurting or when i'm struggling because i really don't think you'd understand and i don't feel like you'd be there for me How, how how would you how would you receive that oh that would sting that would hurt a lot because i want to be there for people I want people to feel like they can be so comfortable in their own skin because I'm so comfortable in my own skin. So to hear that would, yeah, that'd be pretty crushing. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, though, if you were, I'm just going to be honest with you, right? Please. If, you know, I would encourage you to really work on it because if you don't, that's what people are going to say without saying it. That's just. That's just the truth, right? Like, I have a friend of mine who's not a very self-aware seven, and sadly, even though I adore this guy, mm-hmm. I know. I, if I call him and share too much about what's going on in my life, if it's a bummer, he'll actually start to avoid me for a while. Mm. He just doesn't want to be around it. He's just like, okay, he's just too much of a drag. I don't even want ah, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and I'll have trouble getting a hold of him. Mm. And it always, it took me a long time to figure out what was going on there uh-huh. until I learned the Enneagram, and I was like, oh, he just can't be around people who bring him down. Mm. You know, he just, and mm-hmm. if, if you do come to him and say, you know, that's how I'm feeling, he will immediately go into problem solving mode mm-hmm. so quickly instead of just mm-hmm. sitting there with you and going, man, that sucks. It goes into problem solving mode. And you, I, what I want to tell him sometimes is, you know, you're not doing that for me. Mm-hmm. You're doing that for you right. because you don't want to feel the pain right now. Yeah. You, you don't want to take my pain away. Right. You're trying to take your, your pain, pain away pain by away. taking my pain away. Yeah. We're trying David, to save you're ourselves. Your head. Is that, am I- this really resonates with me. And first off, Ian, I thank you very much for telling me that and being honest with me. I, that is what I need. And I need to hear it from people like you as well. 
And yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. And one, one thing that I've really been working on and I have cognitively been doing this and telling myself this in conversations is be curious. That's mm-hmm. my word. Just be curious. Don't try to just impose my will on somebody else, but be curious in why they are feeling like they are. Mm-hmm. What happens? Step back and just assess the situation and just actually, I mean, ask questions to investigate why, why that is happening to them. So how do you grow in empathy? What's your plan? Mm-hmm. There you go. Put me on the spot there. I don't necessarily have a plan. My plan is be curious mm. in conversations. Try to put myself in the situation, in somebody else's shoes when I'm talking to them and not being, not imposing any advice onto them, but instead asking them questions where they can get the advice that they need. They can answer it for themselves. So let me just tell you an amazing story about a seven friend of mine in Denver, Colorado. And uh, funny, charismatic, rich, good-looking, <laughs> beautiful wife. This guy had a life, man, okay? And he had grown up in a very charmed household. You know what I mean? Like very good childhood, you know, or, or at least he reported one, which oftentimes sevens do. They, they mm. have selective memory. Yeah. They, they'll talk about their childhood, and they will leave out the stuff that was painful. They'll only talk about the stuff that was positive. You know what I mean? And you'll be like, mm, it can't be that good. You know, and, and they'll be like, if you push them, they'll go, well, you know, they'll get evasive, you know, or they'll start to tell a funny story when, they, yeah. when you start to peg them to the wall and say, come on, tell me the truth about how that felt, that your parents divorce or mm-hmm. when your brother died. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, it was really and then somehow or another the conversation veers off and they somehow or another they'll say something to lighten the moment Mm -hmm. you know and you're like "Mm -mm." and i won't let that go man i i will i put the finger on him man uh i'm always like i'm gonna try and make this guy cry (laughs) (laughs) that's always a win for four (laughs) i'm gonna make this guy cry (laughs) but but here's here's my here's my point this guy in denver i loved this guy he was such a spiritual guy and I was in a small group with him, and he, he came in the group one day, and he said, you know what I'm doing? And this was back in the 80s when the AIDS crisis had just really broken out. Mm. And nobody understood it. And everybody thought, oh, you could get AIDS from just being with, you know, you know from picking up, you know, by aerosol from people, right. you know, in the air, you know, that kind of stuff. There was a lot of prejudice. And he said, uh, I, every, uh, I'm every." I guess every morning, I guess, or three mornings a week, he went over to the Sister of Charity House in Denver and wow. bathed men who were dying of AIDS. Wow. And I said, well, why? He said, well, I think I need to make contact with other people's suffering. I've just never really suffered. Mm. And I thought, that's a strategy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, this is a guy who went out of his way to put himself in situations where he would have to feel mm-hmm. the suffering of another. And that's the school of empathy. Mm-hmm. That's the school of empathy. Mm. And I don't know what it'll be for you, um, but, uh, or if that's even necessary. But I admire the fact mm. that you recognize this in yourself. It's yeah. a hard thing to admit. It's yeah. a really hard thing to admit. So I, I admire the heck out of it. Yeah. And I admire you have enough self-awareness to say, I got to get more empathy in my life. Yeah. You know? Totally. And uh, so rock on, man. That, that's fantastic. That, that feels like a good seven to me, man, is doing oh, their work. 
Totally. Absolutely. You're doing your work, David. <laughs> David's doing his work. <laughs> hey, you guys just gave me the path to what I need to do. And what I'm having here is an un- unbelievable coaching session. You're, mm. you're building me up. Like you're empowering me. You're also telling me what I need to do or mm. helping me figure out what I need to do. But you're also doing it in an encouraging way. Mm. So that, that right there, what you just did is what great coaches do. Oh, great. Well, that's $1,500 an hour. I hope we're doing okay. <laughs> so, this podcast has now turned into a, a self-concession for myself. I am very grateful. No, Can no I worries. say something real quick yes. still in this? Uh, you know, I, was, I walked past this couple uh, two days ago. I was in a grocery store. Walked past them, and the guy, the husband, had said something about getting some yogurt or something, and it just repelled his wife. And she was like, ooh, you know, yogurt. And he said, don't turn your nose up at me. And I walked past thinking, you know, he's trying to change her behavior so he didn't have feelings about something he didn't want to have feelings about. He actually was feeling hurt, but instead of identifying his own hurt, he was trying to change her, right? And I thought a good question for you to ask in the future, whenever you get reflexive about just trying to make people snap out of it, ask yourself, what pain am I trying to avoid right now? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe live with that question for a little bit and see if an answer comes up for you throughout your practice. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Dave, we're talking too much, but I get excited about this stuff. Here's, here's a quote you could put on your wall. And it's the guy who, uh, what was his name? Found a world vision. What was that guy's name? Bob somebody. Who was it? Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, I know you're talking about. Anyway, the, the, the Christian-based uh, aid organization. He, he, he said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Mm. Now, that's an amazing quote, isn't it? Yeah. Let good. my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Mm. That's a good empathy building idea for sevens Mm, right that's so good because they do struggle with empathy yeah you know they do all sevens do it's it's not unique to uh to you know um to you david that's a that's a widely known issue for sevens all right uh we got to start i want to get to some other i I could do this this conversation for a long time so good yeah david's bringing the self-aware seven thing and he's also you can look in his eyes and you can actually see that um it is interesting, David, that you... Mm, you it's present. Well, you also have a certain sadness in your eyes. That's mm. not unhealthy. But, like, you, you, you have a sense of... Uh, what I see in your eyes is a desire to... An eagerness to grow, you know, and, and an eagerness to say, okay, I, I, I do want to be the, the best, uh, the highest expression of, mm. of who I am, and I know it's going to require work and dot, dot, dot areas, you know. And man, whenever I meet somebody like that, I just, I can't get enough of it. All right. So you in therapy right now? Uh, right now. Yes. And this is great. Like it, it's very encouraging therapy. And I know the quote that's going to go on my fridge tomorrow. So this is, this is amazing. Okay. But are you in therapy right oh, now oh, outside oh, okay. of this conversation? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Have you ever been in therapy? I have not. Fascinating. How come do you think? Don't ever feel like you've had a reason to or? Well, yeah, but probably to, I try to avoid any type of pain thing that would bring me to therapy. So I think it's probably a mixture of both. Interesting. Might be another thing to put on the list. That's true. Or you also might benefit from finding a spiritual director. Hmm. And I oftentimes say that to sevens, you, you do you know what a spiritual director is and, and what they do versus a therapist? 
Well, I'm assuming that they tie it in with the teachings of Jesus and yeah, the yeah. They're not re- they're not therapists. They're not going to give you counseling. What they're going to do is try to help you understand where God might be calling you. Well, hmm. here's it. technically what a what a spiritual director does is help you understand the activity of God's grace in your life. And so they're not therapists. They're not counselors. In fact, they kind of avoid being advice givers, right? Well, what they're more interested in doing is helping you discern. It's a big word for spiritual directors. Okay, what's God up to in my life, right? And so, again, I think for sevens, that that can be, well, it's great for anybody, but for sevens, again, I think yeah. it, it would be a, 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 great, a great thing to invest time in, you know. Um, all right, so you got a book. Yes. Pivot, pivot and go. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, I mean, pivot and go, that's basically what a seven is, right? Something happens and you just on to the next. That's kind of the story of my life of everything's a pivot leading one door closing or opening entire beachfront patio. The same that my mom had. I love your mother now. (laughs) (laughs) You asked me earlier, who would I want to have dinner with? You know, it's like, now I know I want to have dinner with your mother. (laughs) Yeah, really. Hey, she'll listen to this. She'll take you up on that. No, pivot and go is about looking at things from a slightly different perspective. Pivot is a basketball term, and it means like when you are stuck, when all the defenders are right in your face and you can't see the hoop, and you make this small, slight turn, not a big change. Change is very daunting for people to have to go through. Mm. So it's just a small pivot in your perspective that opens up your entire perspective. And I put it on a 29-day blueprint plan with action steps at the end of each chapter because – a lot of people talk about, you know, the whys and everything like this, but I need some hows. As a seven who needs to go, go high energy, like give me some hows, give me some tools to be able to do this. So it's on 29 days. It's 28 is one of the generally accepted numbers to form a habit. Habits are great. Routines are great. But a lifestyle, a lifestyle rhythm is where you want to be. And Ian, you'll appreciate this. It's like your favorite song that you just you know, you just groove into. That's how life should be. It should be almost so unfair looking to others that it doesn't even make sense. And pivot and goes different mindsets, different mindset pivots, looking at things from slightly different perspectives. Redefining is a big piece that I talk about in there. These these terms, these words that the world has given us. You know, success. What does it actually mean? Rich life. What is that actually like? But even in a basketball sense that we all can relate to is, is a slump. So I'll tell my play, players will come to me when I'm working with them and I'll ask them, when was the last shooting slump you were in? And automatically I see the body language kind of crumble and crazy, you know, like five games ago, I couldn't make a shot. I don't know. I just, I, just, I lost it. I couldn't do it. And I'll ask them, when was the last time you were in a shooting hippopotamus? And they'll look at me like, David, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what? A hippopotamus? But basically what I'm showing them is these words are just, words our subconscious we grow up being tying these words with certain meanings but we don't have to we can unwire that myelin in our brain the muscle memory and rewire it with what we decide that these words mean so long answer to uh what pivot to go is about but that's the that's the core of it i'm going to mention a movie to you but first i want you to tell people where they get pivot and go anywhere books live amazon Barnes and Nobles, any, anywhere, my website, davidnurse.com. Great. And what are your social handles? David, at David Nurse, what is it? David Nurse NBA. Instagram, right. Twitter, David Nurse NBA. I've got a podcast, which we just recorded. You'll be coming on soon, the Pivot and Go podcast. Yeah, man, we had a fun conversation. 
It was super fun. Yes, we <laughs> waiting for your dinner guest, but I figured out it's me and my mom so far coming to your dinner. Now we just it do. is. I, I think I just changed it up. <laughs> I got some clarity today about who I want to have dinner with. You, Jesus, and your mother. <laughs> we'll have to run your mom's quote on our socials. That's right. We totally need to do that. Yeah, David's right. mom. David's mom. We'll just say David's mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you get a chance, Anthony, if you get a chance, mm-hmm. I want you to watch the movie In and of Itself. Have you heard of it? No. Uh, okay. Uh, Steve Taylor, Debbie Taylor, and I watched. Steve came over, and you know, Steve's a filmmaker. Yeah. Steve came over, you got to watch this movie, man. It's incredible. And we we often get together on Sunday nights to watch films, you know, uh-huh. on my 82-inch television. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you will love that movie, David, In and of Itself. Because of what you just said at the end there, because it's all about, part of it is about the power of words, the power of our mm. histories. Um, and it's a riveting watch. And it's, wow. actually a, it's, it's actually a live performance of one man. It's a one-man performance on stage before a live audience. It, in fact, in one moment, I'll, I'll sort of ruin something for you. Uh, one of the audience members is Bill Gates. Oh, wow. And he sort of figures in. It's fascinating. Wow. It is fascinating. Stephen Colbert uh, produced it. It's it's actually very moving and i think you would like it david based on a lot of the stuff you said and anthony you'll love it girl four you look for any opportunity to cry (laughs) david nurse thank you for being on typology it's been a joy my friend ian thank you so much thank you so much for having me on but even more so for caring about me and Mm. pouring to me pouring into me in this session so thank you my pleasure thank you for receiving it and my friends uh, out there may you have love may you have joy may you have peace may you have healing And may you have rest. Until next time.